to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Well, hey, girl, hey, and welcome to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm Julie Graham. And I'm Darlene Brock. Dar, I'm excited and nervous about our conversation today because I think it's going to highlight some things I need to work on. So in order to feel ready to do that, I feel like we need to start positive and maybe share with our friends one area of our individual grit and grace lives that we feel like we've got it going on. Like I'm nailing this area. Can you think of one? Oh, that's a hard one, Julie. Um, I, I actually think um, I'm really good in organizing things on my computer. I've got my computer in a really good place right now, which is pretty darn exciting for me because I've had some bumps in the road. So, you know, whatever that means, I have no idea, but I feel good about that right now. I know. Whenever I have my computer around you, I feel like, what's wrong with my machine and why do I have way more on it than you do? So (laughs) I would agree with that statement. Um, Mine is very important, but I feel like I'm in a good place with my hair. (laughs) (laughs) You are. It looks pretty good. I mean, it does. I'm saving money because Donnie is now doing my hair and it's just, I just feel like I'm really nailing the hair scene right now. For a while it was thinning, which I think had to do with my show prep. Anyway, my hair is looking good these days. Okay, not this show prep, but your oh, back my competition show, show back yeah. way a million kajillion years ago when I did that thing. So, yeah. anyways, yeah, um, my hair is looking good. Okay, let's let's just go ahead and own an area that maybe we think we need to work on. Hmm. I think, I know it's hard to pick one. Yeah, it is. It actually is. I mean, it, can it's I say funny. my computer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like right now I am totally chasing my tail. If you know what that means. Mm is I can't seem to set some kind of priority list and structure to where I seem to accomplish anything or at least get it done. I accomplish bits of things, but I don't seem to get anything done right now. I think I believe in you. I think I believe in you. That doesn't feel very supportive. <laughs> I feel like that's always your struggle. It and is. I think you I think you shortchange yourself. Well, and it may be self-imposed when I put myself in that position. What about you, Julie? 100. Um, (laughs) I think one thing I'm noticing about myself is I have, I've got a clutter issue, um, like a physical clutter stuff everywhere everywhere in my life. My child has way too many things. I have too many things. And so I really got to figure out how to downsize in, in some ways. My house seems to be getting smaller by the second Oh, it's easy to do, especially with a small one. Mm-hmm. I, I know there were times I convinced my children that there were very needy children out there. I've been using that line. It doesn't seem to be it's working. It's not working very well. It does. It does. It, mm-hmm. You know, I can't say it worked incredibly well, but yeah, occasionally you have to declutter. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's just how it is. We've all got our strengths and our weaknesses and areas of our grit and grace life that we need to develop. So today we're actually bringing in a guest that I think can help us in a very foundational area of our lives that maybe we tend to put on the back burner. Today's guest is Deborah L. Meyer. She's a CPA. And guys, honestly, she has a lot of other letters that I don't even know what they mean, but it means she's very educated in the area of finance. She's also an Amazon bestselling author, and her book is Redefining Family Wealth, A Parent's Guide to Purposeful Living. She owns Worthy Nest, which is a financial planning and investment firm, and she also owns an accounting and tax firm. This woman knows her stuff when it comes to finance. She's also a wife and a mom to three boys. Welcome to the show, Deb. You know, 
I was really excited that you wrote an article and submitted to us. And it's like, I really, really like this lady. I think what she has to say is pretty interesting. But before we get into what you have to say, I'd like to know just a little bit about you, your family, where you've come from, where you're going. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, Just to give a little bit of background, I grew up predominantly in Wisconsin. I moved around a lot as a little girl and uh, then settled in Missouri. That's where I went to college and found my husband. And we have three beautiful boys. Um, And we just recently relocated from Missouri to Florida. So pretty big transition a few months ago. And um, it's just been a fun journey kind of looking at intersection of money and finance and my own family and some of the decisions that we've made based on our personal values. So that's really what I'm all about is trying to incorporate the fun from my family and the journeys and adventures we've been on, but also helping other families look at building wealth for themselves. Well, I want to just kind of hone in on what you just said there, the idea of building wealth. And more specifically, you talk about family wealth. And I get a picture of a ballin' house with an epic pool <laughs> and, you know, all the cars that you like. Is that what you're talking about? Like, what do you mean by the phrase family wealth? Yeah, so family wealth, I, I've worked with clients in very different um, frames of mind. I've had some very um, affluent clients from a financial net worth perspective who do have the amazing cars and the, you know, epic pools and that kind of thing. For me, it's more about looking at that family unit and what you guys personally value. So for our family, a big value is travel. And we make sure a lot of our excess money goes towards travel funds so we can see some cool things and experience that as a family together. We're not so concerned with the fancy cars. Neither my husband or I have ever driven a or ever owned any kind of luxury car, um, even though we probably are at a point where we could afford to do that if if we really wanted to. So there's a lot of uh, nuances, I think, in building family wealth. And it's not just about, okay, who has the biggest boat or the biggest or most luxurious car, uh, beautiful house, that kind of stuff. It's it's figuring out what's important to your family and, and making steps to get there along the way. I think what we want to talk about on this episode is that very thing. How can we bring this big idea from up in the cloud to really into our own lives? Because what we want to take away is the idea that every single one of us is currently building our legacy, whether we realize it or not. And we can actually build our preferred family future with the strategies that Deb is going to share with us. So there needs to be a starting place, Deb. Every family that needs to wants to build this legacy has to figure out what that means to them. So is there some kind of self-examination or list you make or priorities you set? How do you do it? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you do have to start with that self-examination. It's hard to go from uh, just immediately knowing what your family values are and, and important goals as a family until you take that time to really examine what's important to you. And if you're married, what's important to your spouse. So the kind of questions that I begin when I go through self-examination is saying, okay, what do I hold dearly? Is it family? Is it my faith? Is it um, being generous with others? What, what are some of the core values that guide my personal decision-making? And then if I, in my case, I'm married, so I'm taking that same 
self-examination that my husband's doing around his core values and kind of figuring out, okay, where is there some overlap? Where can we come together to create some of these family values? Another part of the self-examination process is looking at the limiting beliefs that might have held you back in the past, especially as it comes to money. So if you grew up um, feeling very poor, there was a lot of paycheck to paycheck and where's my next meal going to come from. You're carrying a lot of emotional baggage. Even if you're not in that place right now, you're carrying a lot of emotional baggage from that past, from living off of food stamps. If you were a family that uh, you know, had plenty of, of money and financial resources, but you were very short on quality time. Again, that's some emotional baggage that you're carrying into adulthood. And you need to take a look at that. It, it can be a pretty ugly process. It's sitting with yourself and kind of saying, okay, where was I in the past? What are some of these limiting beliefs that have been holding me back historically? And making a you know, pact with yourself to say, I'm going to start forging a new future. For a lot of people, that's having mantras of, you know, saying, I am worthy. I'm worthy of a brighter future. (laughs) Um, If you're Christian, Jesus wants me to live abundantly and grow abundantly and and not feeling like you have to be held back anymore. Um, So that's that's the real, you know, first process in that self-examination. So if step one is self-examination, I think you probably group in there that it's a family conversation, but you start with your own kind of personal diagnosis, and then you would talk with your partner and kind of get on the same page as to what your family values are. Well, what comes next? What's step two? Yeah, so it's really translating the personal examination and the stuff that you've worked on with yourself. And again, if you're married or have a significant other in the household that's influencing those decisions, even if you're not, if you have older children that can have a role in figuring out what these family values are, that will help set the vision and direction for some of these future steps. So I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about um, building wealth, they just focus on these tactics of which 401k account you know, should I use my 401k or an IRA? And, and they're starting at the wrong place. A lot of this begins at a deeper level when you're really thinking about your direction and, and where you want to be going. Boy, it, that sounds like that's potential conflict land. So you bring, <laughs> you bring your priorities and values, your spouse brings theirs. How do you, I'm sure you've walked through it with families. How do you yeah. help them pick and choose or prioritize, or the give and take. How does that work out, Deb? (laughs) Yes, uh, money can definitely be a source of tension and conflict and just values examination. But I think for a lot of couples, especially to work well together, they have to learn that art of compromise and really say, okay, well, yeah, we might only share two of the same 10 values, but those two values are a common thread. Those are the core ones that we want to focus on as a family and, and really um, put all their effort and energy towards those two. If you have trouble finding any overlap, that that is obviously going to be something maybe more than what you know I, I can offer you from a just general podcast episode or, or a book. But um, maybe talking through that with a therapist or some other licensed um, Mm-hmm. professional that can help you bring some of those 
those emotions out to the forefront. Well, and I think that's even an interesting point. You know, we, we might be really excited about, you know, making some family goals in the area of finances and then uncover that's not the primary need right now. You know, we've got some foundational issues as a couple or as a family that really need to be addressed. Because I, I think you would agree at the end of the day, this is not about finances as the main focus. Correct. And I think it does take you, especially if you're married, to be in a healthy place in your marriage before you can have some of these conversations. Because, you know, if you're already on rocky ground, it's hard to be like, okay, let's talk about (laughs) another (laughs) thing that's, yeah, (laughs) that's going to potentially rock the boat, right? Um, There's a really good framework. I've done a lot of research just around couples and money and um, look through some some items last year on um, what are some of the steps you can take to communicate better as a couple. So there's some other articles I have on, on the redefining family wealth website that, that go into those um, details. But, you know, the main point is you're not wanting to have every conversation be some heated battle. (laughs) You want to be able to appreciate each other and, and focus on the good in your relationship first, before you move on to some of these more controversial topics. We'll definitely want to put some of those. We'll link right to them in our show notes because some of our friends are going to stop right now and just go hit that link and focus on that area. But if we're staying the path, what would be step three on this process of figuring out what your family's goals and plans are? Yeah, I would say step three is really uh, incorporating kids into it. So I work with families and I, you know, a lot of my clients have children that are still living at home and Myself, I have three boys ranging in age from five to 10. So I'm always thinking about age appropriate teachable moments for them. Um, If I'm running an errand at Target and my son suddenly, you know, has little interest in coming with me historically, he's like, oh, I want to go. I want to go. Usually I know that there's some kind of external motivation behind that. It's just not quality time with me, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, So for him, it's okay. He's going to bring some of his own money in his pocket because he knows I'm going to say no to buying things for him at the store that aren't necessary. But if he wants to buy Pokemon trading cards or Beyblades or whatever the, the hottest toy is, he is going to learn at that moment that I'm not going to just easily say, yeah, here you go. I'll buy you yet another thing that you don't need. If it's a true thing that he wants to pay for and he's earned that money or has been gifted that money in the past, that's something he can make that decision on. Um, For my younger kids, though, a lot of it is just figuring out, okay, where are things that we can do to make our values central in our house? So we have um, different share, save, and spend jars in our house. And we're trying to say, okay, if you get a gift at your birthday, that's a cash gift, let's not put all of it into spend. Let's put some of it into save and some of it into share, which is our giving jar to, to charitable causes. So There's a lot of things you can do, even from an early age, that will help your kids understand more of your values. Yeah, so another part of it, too, is um, this can be based on our own reflection of the past, but I grew up with a lot of negative connotations around money. Well, money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, Money isn't something, you know, you always have to be careful about how you're spending your money. I, I lived with 
two very frugal parents. My dad was always saying, turn off the lights because we don't want to pay the you know, big electricity bill, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, when I, I know they were, you know, had plenty of money to pay the electricity bill, they were just always looking at more ways to be frugal and, and save. And uh, for the longest time, I just thought that's how you have to live is this scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. So I'm moving beyond that and saying, no, there's plenty of opportunities. I'm just choosing not to spend my money on XYZ because it doesn't line up with my values and our family values. So um, in any of these conversations you're having with your kids, it's important to be direct. It's important to be concise and really make it clear. You know, if you truly can't afford it, but you're choosing not to pay for it, you, you have to make that distinction. You're not saying, oh, I can't afford to blah, blah, blah. You have to say, I don't want to spend my money on <laughs> blah, blah, blah. If it's important to you and you have saved for it, you can spend your money on that. I'm curious, you, you have teachable moments throughout your child's life when it comes to purchasing and priorities. Mm-hmm. But do you also, even if they're small, do you put them in the initial conversation? Do you allow them to have a say? You said you do with the older children, but when you're setting your priorities in the first place, do you bring them in to tell you what they think their priorities are so you can have a teachable moment at that point? Well, I think they, I mean, again, depending on the age of the kids, some kids or three and they're having a trouble, you know, having trouble just communicating verbally about anything. So for them, it might be difficult to say, Hey, let's bring you into that conversation. Um, you know, as parents, we are our children's teachers. So we have to instill some sense of modeling in them. I think there's, again, I'm not a parenting expert by any means, but I just know in my own interactions with kids, I have to really tailor who I'm talking to. So the conversations I'm having with my five-year-old son are very different from the conversations I'm having with my 10-year-old. And um, it's knowing your own children, knowing their maturity level and what, you know, is going to go over their head versus something that they might actually understand. Um, Another part of it too, is just that extension of um, whatever they might be learning in school already and building off of that at home. So when my um, now seven-year-old was in kindergarten, he was doing a lot of sorting of coins. And we could talk about coins in the context of, well, this isn't just an addition and subtraction thing. This is real money that here's pennies, here's dimes, here's nickels. These each have a value and, and they have you know the capability to, to buy things. So there's a lot of opportunity for creating those teachable moments. It's just... Um, knowing your own son or daughter and, and realizing, okay, what what's going to really um, help them in the future as they formulate their own habits. And, and also one distinction too on the values, I think it's our job as parents to, to instill those values in our children that we think are important core family values. But I also recognize that there are different money personalities among my three kids already. So my first, my oldest wants to spend, that's his natural propensity. So I have to have more conversations around the um, <laughs> value of saving for things instead of just immediately going to the, well, I want this and let's go buy it tomorrow. <laughs> um, whereas my younger ones, 
tend to be a little bit more like I'm, I got money from the tooth fairy. I'm going to hold on to it for a full month before I even think about spending it. So there's just um, recognizing that even at a young age, kids already are formulating some of those temperaments around money. My child must have missed the money lesson because of pandemic. So I guess I have extra <laughs> responsibility to catch up on teaching him about money. I, I, I like when you talked about the different money personalities because I'm already seeing that with my six-year-old and you know my, my own desire to spend money and the way my boyfriend likes to handle money as different to the way my late husband did. And so I think there's a lot of truth to that of um, you know really kind of being honest about how you personally see money and then kind mm-hmm. of owning the responsibility of parenting your child toward, you know, wisdom and responsibility in this area. Definitely. It's, um, it, it's going to be unique for each family and each ch- child. All right. So we've established our priorities, Deb, and we've kind of set them down as a family. Then we, what, have to write them out and create some kind of a budget, um, which for most people, the word budget puts you into cold sweat. <laughs> and you think you have to download a program that somebody suggested to you. Or you do have the to envelopes. And what? Or do the envelopes. Or do the envelopes mm-hmm. or whatever somebody's telling you you need to do to establish your budget. Um, but is there some fluidity in that? Can we do it on a personal level? Yeah. So I, I've, um, like I said, I've worked with a lot of different couples and uh, there are many variations on budgeting depending on the family and how they have grown accustomed to paying their bills. So if you have, if your family unit is accustomed to doing a lot of credit card charges and you pay off your credit card bills in full each month and you have a, a general idea of, okay, we're saving X per month, you know, outside of retirement accounts, you probably don't need that detailed of a budget because you're already on really solid footing, right? For a family that's just getting started with budgeting, they don't have a lot of uh, experience as a family working together on on personal finance. They're probably going to benefit more from a cash envelope system or if they want to do it electronically, picking a program like envelopes. But those kinds of uh, things are, are built in to provide more accountability, more awareness of what's going on with the family budget. So I recommend a lot of the um, tracking and, and the, there's a plethora of online resources. Mint.com is one. Uh, YNAB is another. It's short for you need a budget. There's a lot of different budgeting tools that you can do online that will help keep you accountable you're putting the broad framework for what dollar amounts you want to go into a particular category, but then they're helping alert you if you're going over in that particular category. Um, For the people though, that just say, you know, I have a general idea of what I'm spending, but I really should be saving more. That's where I think getting granular can be very helpful as a family. And one of the other things that I've noticed especially among married couples that, uh, you know, might've been doing solo budgeting for a long time. It's trying to come together and forming that budget collaboratively can be another challenging, stressful process because it's, um, you have your own beliefs and values around money, but, uh, I, have seen a couple of instances where, you know, the, 
husband wants to keep his account separate and the wife wants to keep her account separate. And then they have the joint account for the um, expenses for the family. And it just gets hard to do that. Um, I, I usually recommend putting it all into the joint first and then funneling, you know, maybe some of these separate um, dollar amounts out. But there's no one right way for a budget. It's going to depend again on how comfortable you've been with budgeting in the past, if you need a lot of built-in accountability and um, knowing that personal finance is an important part of having those communications as a couple. Again, if you're in a committed relationship, figuring out how those are going to play out over the long term. It's it's hard to meet the short-term goals and long-term goals without that cash flow analysis. So I, I call it a cash flow analysis instead of budget because I know that can bring up a lot of it does. negativity it does. too. Yeah, I had a friend in Nashville, a dear friend of mine, who just budget the word budget sent her into a tailspin. Absolutely did. Mm-hmm. So her husband, because she just she just wanted to be able to spend money on some things she wanted to spend money on. So her husband in their family budget, and they agreed on this together, he had an item called free money. And it was nothing more than how much every month she could spend on anything she felt like spending it on. And it worked for them because it gave her the ability to be fluid because that's how she treated it and him the ability to, you know, grow their net worth and their wealth and their priorities. And, you know, I think sometimes it takes thinking outside of the box to be able Mm -hmm. to create a good budget. It does. And again, there's no one size fits all solution. Envelope was something I used very early on when I was single. And um, as soon as I got more established and I owned my own home before I got married. So for me, it was, okay, I need a more detailed budget. I've been using like an Excel detailed budget for, gosh, 15 years. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. And it, it's, it's my, but it, it's worked for me. And it's one of those things. Um, we've obviously changed some of the line items on our budget and different things, you know, as we've had more children and <laughs> you have to add additional lines for, mm-hmm. for kids, but you know, whatever system is working for you. Great. If there's not a system that's working for you, keep finding one that will. Okay, so after you have that system in place, I mean, is there another step or are we ready to go and now all of a sudden we're, you know, on our way? Yeah, I think um, a big part of that too within the budget framework, you're looking at your income, you're looking at your expenses, and you're also looking at savings. Uh, If you're fortunate enough that you've budgeted wisely and you have some flexibility in what that savings could look like, it's important to identify, okay, what's some of the short-term stuff that we want to do and what's some of the long-term stuff. So when I think about uh, any new client couple that I, client family that I start working with, I'm looking at what are the immediate things that we absolutely have to get paid? So are there big debt payments that we need to address before we start funneling extra cash flow into some other long-term savings vehicles? So if there's a lot of credit card debt or student loan debt, whatever it is, we come up with a concrete plan on on using any extra cash flow to potentially pay that down. It's putting your money where your mouth is to say, okay, I have this plan. 
now I'm actually going to work towards making it happen and hold myself accountable to it. So having uh, recurring, again, talking about people in relationships, but having a recurring uh, conversation with that significant other to say, how are we matching what we thought we were going to do from a budgeting perspective and, and how are we actually doing on that? <laughs> and that might be another, yet another point of contention if you're off track, but if you're on track, then you might find there's even more ways to expand into some of those long-term goals. So when I talk about long-term goals for our family, we had worked really hard on getting an emergency fund established and then I kind of repositioned it into an opportunity fund to say, okay, we have our needs met. If, if one of us is, uh, if my business income is suddenly uh, in flames or my husband loses his job, we have enough cash here in a, an emergency fund to really help just survive and ma continue making our, our normal payments on uh, mortgage and uh, credit cards and things like that. Beyond that, though, I want to live in more of an abundance mindset. So for us, we have this opportunity fund that says, let's do some cool travel things. Mm -hmm. For instance, we ended up going in 2018 to Spain and lived there for three months as wow. a family. <laughs> and a lot of that was attributable to us having these conversations years before and figuring out where we want to be putting extra cash flow that we worked hard to, to generate. Um, so while we were doing that, building that opportunity fund, we were also still contributing to our retirement accounts. We were also still trying to contribute to 529 plans for our kids for college savings. So there were a lot of competing things that we were doing, but we were always very intentional about where we were directing any extra cash flow. And we recognized that there are times where we're going to have some extra cash flow and there are other times where <laughs> it's really tight and you're just maintaining what you can to, to pay your bills. I love the that thought, Deb, that you also have something that is a goal, that is goal-oriented as a family. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day about the fact that she wants in three years when her daughter is in seventh grade to take a year off and they get in, a, in an RV. Nope. And they try. Yeah. <laughs> Julie's out. like, nope, uh, uh, not no. doing there. Give me a nice hotel and an airplane ticket. Thank you anyway. Um, but they want to get in an RV and tour the country for a year. It's an experience that they want to have as a family while their child is still interested in being with them. Um, so, yeah. you know, she's like, I want to plan for that. I want to make a career plan, a financial plan where when that year comes, I can do it. And I think that's really important for families to not just think about the shoes they want to buy or the new toys, but go, I have a big goal. I have something I mm -hmm. want our family to experience. So that's what we're going for. Yeah, I love that example, Darlene, because it's, I mean, it's right on point of like, okay, you're not just living in the here and now and focused on extra cash you might be having today. You're really working towards that longer term goal and setting aside a detailed plan to get there. Okay, well, I have a awesome. question that keeps coming to mind as we're having this conversation because there's a lot of conversation toward, you know, maybe a couple doing these things together. What do you say to the woman who is nodding along, agreeing that this is a great idea and she wants to talk to her husband about it, but he's going to be closed off? 
how do you handle the situation where one partner is interested in making some changes and implementing budget and planning for the future and the other is just not on board? Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely <laughs> a commonality. Um, I think the hardship in any you know long-term relationship is you have to come to an agreement on there are things that I'm more interested in that my husband's not as interested in, but for our livelihood as a family, these are the things we need to prioritize. And for us, it was always a matter of, I'm the one taking care of the finances. He, he's had very little involvement in that, but if it's an important thing to me, we're going to have that conversation. I'm still going to honor the fact that there are other things he'd rather talk about. And let's focus on those two when we're getting together and having these regular, you know, conversations with each other. But we need to make it clear and, and not, you know, do it in a nagging way, but just make it clear that this is a priority for me. If you truly love me, <laughs> let's have this conversation and know that there might be some hard feelings around it, but ultimately we're working towards this goal of, of having something better and more meaningful. And we might have to go through some short-term pain to get there. Um, if you need to do it in, again, working with a you know certified financial planner, um, you can have those difficult conversations in the presence of someone else who has worked a lot around money and, and issues. So that might be something where, you know, if he's just absolutely resistant to having any of these conversations where you say, okay, let's, let's just meet with a financial planner and see what, what they can maybe do for our situation. If, if you're in that um, position where you could hire someone. I think that's smart a lot to bring in someone that is totally objective and has mm -hmm. enough information and experience that they can actually, you know, verify you, some of the things you care about and some of the things your spouse or your significant other cares about and helps you almost mediate so you can come up to come up with a good plan for both of you. Right. Right. And, and that's honestly the value that you're getting with working with a financial advisor. This is not a plug for, <laughs> for working one-on-one, -on -one, but it can be a really good tool. Um, I do a lot of uh, kind of behavioral finance within my um, registered investment advisory firm, Worthy Nest. And when I'm working with a new client, I'm looking at their past behaviors around money and we have it in like a graph form that we can see, okay, you're really high on frugality, you're not, or you feel financially responsible, you don't. So we can see some of those mismatches and identify what the problems are um, that you might not even need to say. I can see that from some of the data that you've already you know, completed and, and helped me. Um, get a better feel for where you're coming from. So that's, that's almost terrifying, Deb. It's like going out in public <laughs> in a bathing suit, you know. <laughs> it isn't. It's not. I, well, it's. Um, I, I just find it's been very helpful in having some of those deeper conversations right off. Not right off the bat, but pretty early on in the process of of a fam, you know financial planning relationship. So for you know it's filling out a questionnaire for 10 minutes on your part, but it gives me as an advisor a lot more insight into what that, um, where those conflicts might arise. 
And not all advisors are using that. It's just (laughs) something I like. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think as we're kind of thinking through this conversation of the idea that all of us are leaving a legacy, whether we've thought about that before, and you've given us some tangible steps that we can take to really move our family toward that preferred future that we want to have. So we want to thank you for that. Um, I do want to say that we'll, we're going to go ahead and link to one of your blog posts um, from, from your site that kind of unpacks these ideas. But I'm sure some of our friends who are listening, they want to know more. They want to, they want to get more detailed. Maybe they do want to connect with you one-on-one to help them implement these strategies or they want to get your book or be able to you know, learn more about your blog. How can our friends connect with you more fully? Yeah, thanks for, uh, again, giving me the opportunity to, to share all of these. I touched on a lot of these concepts, but the book is a really thorough resource. So it's called Redefining Family Wealth, A Parent's Guide to Purposeful Living. And uh, my website, redefiningfamilywealth.com, is the main hub where those resources can be found. You'll see links to all of the different blog posts and, and the book. Um, you can sign up for my email list, and I send weekly wealth building tips. So it's uh, it's a great hub. And then, of course, you know, uh, Worthy Nest is is the registered investment advisory firm I have, where I work one on one with families. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to all of that in the show notes. Deb, you've given us a lot to think about. I mean, I'm a little bit head exploding over here, but in a good way, (laughs) in a yay, new goals to work on kind of way. So thank you for your insight and your expertise in this area. Thanks again. It was wonderful being on here. I think this quote from James W. Frick fits right in with what Deb has been talking about today. Don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money and I'll tell you what they are. You won't want to miss next week on This Grit and Grace Life. We're going to be talking about practical ways to either begin a relationship with God or how to grow in your faith every day. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by The Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a grit and grace life with us, or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week, we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.